I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi there, welcome back to Paranormal Blip. It is a pleasure being with you again. And first of all, I must apologize for the weeks and weeks and weeks of zero content from me. Uh, basically, what happened was, there's no big conspiracy theory about it. It's just that I started a new job. And so all of my efforts were focused on the uh, getting my head around a new job, basically. That was it, wasn't it? Remember the last time I said, Oh, yeah, the old job was really good and the new job people had to be, you know, get their ducks in order. <laughs> well, they did get their ducks in order and I'm very much enjoying my new job. Thank you very much. But it does mean that there was a large gap between episode 52 and this episode, episode 53. And, well, what an extraordinary time it's been. So I thought the logical way of uh, kind of bridging that large gap, would be for me to do a bit of a top five. Yes, a well-worn, and some would say cliched format, um, to catch us up with what it is that we have missed in the world of the paranormal, mainly UAPs. But we're going to look at that in a second. But first of all, I'm going to then talk to you about the rest of the content for this episode. Um, top five coming up, kind of replacing the news. And then we've got a brief um, review of John Carpenter's film from the mid-80s uh, called They Live, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper. And then I'm going to end with a, a couple of words on Donald Hoffman. And I'm going to link to the outstanding... Uh, it's not one, it's not the only one, but it's the one that I saw yesterday. <laughs> uh, it's an interview with Kurt from Theories of Everything, and it's really good. And there's lots and lots of brilliant Hoffman stuff out there. But I just wanted to put a bit of a focus, a bit of a spotlight on Hoffman, on the Hoffmeister. And um, yeah, so that's the that's the plan. OK, what do you think about that? Hey, that's the plan. So welcome to my bistro. It's not bistro, it's bistro. And isn't it nice to hear this again? So before we get underway today, I'm going to just quickly say, please rate the podcast. You can do that on Spotify now. Uh, so go on then, give it five golden stars, why don't you? And also on Apple Podcasts, you can rate it there. And please review and please subscribe and please share and please follow me on um paranormal blip on twitter paranormal blip paranormal underscore blip underscore uh podcast <laughs> at instagram okay so top five in the world of uaps and the paranormal it's been quite an exciting couple of weeks and uh looking back on it you know the uh gillibrand uh, conversation with Kurt Patrick, that doesn't even make the top five. How exciting is that? <laughs> it's, what it does, though, is that it does uh, get awarded a, a commendation from me. So what I want to say about that is that I thought it was extraordinary that Kirk Patrick was, um, you know, saying one thing, um, you know, to that... Uh, open hearing, that open discussion with a couple of them, uh, Gillibrand and a couple of her colleagues. Um, and at the same time, it was being kind of rebuffed by, or or what's the word, um, answered by folks who have given much more details to Kirkpatrick. Um, so it's very interesting, this kind of public face that he that he has. But as we'll come on in a, in a moment, because he did make an appearance at NASA, and I think he did. He said something absolutely extraordinary, actually, which has been kind of um, 
picked up by a couple of people, but we'll look at that in a minute. But in terms of the um, the Gillibrand conversation, the hearing that he had, uh, it, I just the, the only thing that um, stuck out for me was the lack of care, seemingly that he had for the uh, folks that he's him and his team were talking to. Um, so you know, he was saying, "Well, thanks very much for the uh, referrals of you know people that have inside information about this, uh, but but go easy, you know, kind of filter them first of all." before you give them to me, because I'm a very busy man, essentially, is what he was saying. And I'm not, I mean, I am paraphrasing, but not by much, you know. So I thought that was a little bit, you know, bit much, uh, Patrick. Kirk Patrick. Okay, so into the top five. Number five is an interview that uh, Rogan did with James Fox. This was quite a while ago now. And it was really brilliant. James Fox did a fantastic um, summary of the whole of, you know, UAP history from the 40s on, talking about really interesting cases. Also spoke about moment of contact, obviously. And uh, th now this is the thing I want to say about this. I'll put a link in, but I'm sure most of you have heard it by now. But if you haven't, it's definitely worth listening to the whole interview. Um, and hats off to James Fox, who's in Britain at the moment. Um, so welcome to Britain, James. And uh, hats off to you, James, because you did an absolute standout job um, representing the UAP community, which is what his, he said, I am going to represent you all. Well, you did um, with aplomb. So congratulations, James. Now, the, the interesting thing to come out of that is this extraordinary story of the Chuck Clark video, um, which is of a... It was two, I think I've spoken about this in the past on the podcast, and you probably know about it. Uh, maybe not, though. So let's just summarize very briefly. Um, long time ago now, I'm not too sure when, I think it was the early 90s or something like that. Two guys who were on a road trip to um, Area 51 uh, videoed a um, an extraordinary craft very close to them about like a 50 foot up in the air it was flying kind of hovering in the air and it had this red kind of extraordinary beautiful red orangey luminescence about it and james then saw that video that video was then given to this uh, ufo researcher who lives in that area in that area 51 area in nevada and his his uh, place was raided by the fbi not so long ago by the way uh, that George Knapp is kind of um, reported that. And um, anyway, uh, yeah, so the, the video was given to, to Chuck Clark and Chuck then showed this video to um, James Fox. And this was a, a long time ago. And James Fox, um, you know, I don't know if it was last year, it was certainly recently because I remember speaking about it. He did an interview where he spoke about this and he said, you know, it's the most compelling footage I've ever seen. Um, you know, there's I've no way of verifying it, but, you know, you'd, you'd need a massive amount of a budget in those days to uh, kind of, you know, do um, visual effects on it, you know, to make it look as good as it looked. So then this was uh, kind of discussed. And then Logan Paul got in contact with, Logan Paul is this, uh, like a YouTuber, podcaster. I also think he fights as well. He's like a fighter, professional fighter. And um, yeah, I'm not really into, you know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, Logan Paul um, heard about this. He went down, and this is what, uh, you know, we know about this because James Fox told the world this through the Logan, through the Rogan, sorry the Rogan podcast, not Logan, but Rogan, and not Dolan either, not Richard Dolan, and not Gary Nolan, no. Um, so anyway, he, he told the world about this through the Rogan podcast, and he said that Logan Paul had gone down and secretly filmed using a kind of um, the camera in his uh, buttonhole, like some kind of, you know, Mission Impossible cameo, 
secretly filmed this uh, television that was playing the VHS tape from back in the day. And so Logan then spoke about this on his podcast a couple of weeks later. And he said at some point he's going to kind of like release it, maybe. So it's very odd, you know, very, very odd. I think if you've got it, you should just kind of give it to the world. Um, I think that Chuck Clark, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what is going on with Chuck Clark. Like if you're personally, when people bother to find you and go around your house, then you get to see it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So he showed like a, another guy, a private investigator it. Um, you know, so he said now in an interview that somebody um, took, he said that he does no longer has it. He, it's not in his possession anymore. And there's a bit of speculation as to what that means. Like, has it been kind of taken by, I don't know, the FBI or has he sold it to someone? It's not, not we're not too sure what that means. But anyway, Logan Paul is sitting on this footage. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Anyway, that's the that's why it's top five. The interview itself is absolutely brilliant, but it's been quite a busy week. So, James, if you're listening, I'm sorry that you're in the number five, but at least it's you know, at least you're in there. You know, there's lots of stuff is happening, isn't it? And it was a long time ago, but I really did want to say something about it because James, it was a brilliant interview. So that's number five. Number four, number four, Corbell and Nat weaponized a couple of weeks ago. This has been a massive story. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Jeremy Corbell spoke about this mass sighting that happened a couple of years ago in this place called 29 Palms. 29 Palms. Do you remember that song? Oh, I love it. Robert Plant. 29 Palms. La 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 la, and I hear your voice on the radio. La 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 la. What is it? What is it? Um, anyway, it's a really good song. And um, so this has been a big, big story. Essentially, and it's worth watching, Weaponized, by the way, the uh, episode a couple of weeks ago, and then the most recent episode, which was came out last Tuesday, I think. Yeah. So, you know, six, five, six days ago. Um, so here's the score, man. Apparently, Corbell lives around this area in California. 29 pounds. And he was he heard quite soon after the event, I think, like very soon after the event, he heard that something had happened. And he heard this from multiple people. And then his job then was to work out, well, what happened? And so he worked it out. And lots of people got in contact with him, okay? And the the podcasts are full of these audio of people, like him interviewing witnesses. What they witnessed was a large triangular craft um, for there for at least 10 minutes. Somebody said 35 minutes. So between 10 to 35 minutes, um, basically there. And at one point, some witnesses say that it shifted slightly. But apart from that slight shift that some people say, uh, it was totally still. Okay. Now, 29 Palms is this massive training um, area. And there's thousands of people in the army, thousands of Marines, uh, like, like set there, like based, based there all the time. You've yeah, got this kind of running... Um, rotor of people coming in, doing training, leaving again. So it's like a busy, very uh, like busy place. Lots of things going on. It's absolutely huge. Now we found out, not like you, you, the UFO community found out through a little bit of research that there was a training happening that night, and the training that night involved having flares sent up. So that was enough for a lot of people in the UFO world to say. Oh, but it was flares, it was flares, it was flares. Now, you know, some of those people I can instantly dismiss and ignore. Um, but then other people who I do kind of take seriously were thinking, well, hold on a minute, was it? Like, you know, what, what is going on here? Like, what, what other information do we have except for the, um, the, the witnesses, okay? Now, we've got to take note that a lot of these witnesses 
were saying they were not flares. They were specifically saying they weren't flares. Some of those witnesses that were saying they were not flares were people that send flares up in their job. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, Knapp in the most recent episode of, um, of Weaponize says, well, you know, we may have new flares that we don't know about, you know. So it is possible that, I mean, basically it's an open investigation. It's an ongoing investigation and, and anything is possible, you know. It is possible that it's flares, okay. Quote me on that. I'm saying it is possible that it's flares. But it is also possible that 50 plus people that have, they're in the, you know, armed services, they know about uh, things that fly around their like, observers, their trained observers, all of them are, you know. And so you have to kind of think they might know what they're talking about when they're saying it's not flares, you know. It's not just one guy saying that. Lots of people are saying it's not flares. We could see a craft, even though most of the photographs don't show a craft. There was one photo, uh, they, they said, oh, don't show a craft. We could see a craft when we were looking at it in the sky. We were saying, what the hell is that? We don't say that about flares because we know flares. We work with flares. We've seen flares before. And you kind of think, okay, on a, on a basis whereby you have to take witnesses seriously. You can't just say, well, it might be that they are saying it's not flares. It might be that they're saying that it is a craft, but come on, it must be flares. You know, I'm not too interested in going down that road. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to refer to, I'm just looking it up on Twitter, actually. I'm going to refer to a photograph that was taken in low light conditions. You know, some guys got a really good camera and he took a really interesting, really good photograph. And you could see in the photo very clearly that it's, you know, it's a craft. There's a, you can see a triangle craft there. And so what's going on there? Some people say that it isn't a craft at all, that it's some kind of um, effect of the flares falling. But then you think, well, hold on a minute, these aren't falling flares. This thing stayed still for 10 minutes, except for some people are saying, well, actually, it kind of, you know, blipped a little bit. They don't use the word blip. I wish they did, because it'd be good for me if they did, but I, I'll use the word blip. But it kind of like it's, it, um, you know, moved very, very slightly. Some people are saying that. So we're not too sure what's going on with this. but. If you take a look at the photograph, which I'll link, then you can see very clearly that there is a, a craft. There is a triangle shape. Now, if that triangle shape is, um, you know, kind of related to uh, the some kind of effect connected to the uh, the flares, then, you know, I can kind of see that. I, like, I'm not ruling it out. But at the same time, for that effect to take place, you'd imagine that the flares were actually dropping. And nobody was saying the flares were dropping. None of the witnesses were saying the flares are dropping. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's flares and then dismiss the triangle picture by saying the flares are dropping, whilst at the same time taking seriously the people that we know this story through, you know? So we have evidence of a photograph. It's not a perfect photo. I'm looking at it right now, and I'll link it in the episode description. And it does look, you know, triangle, triangle, triangle-ish, triangle-ish. Now, <laughs> it's not the best photograph ever, but these are the facts of the case. Um, 20th of April, 2021, between 8.20 and 9.20 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Location, the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center, 29 Palms, Camp Wilson. Duration, approximately 10 minutes. But like I say, in the second episode of uh, Weaponized that came out about five, six days ago, somebody was saying it was about 30, 35 minutes. Um, case type, mass UFO sighting, 50 plus direct eyewitnesses, 
they have had that confirmed 50 plus by a couple of by enough people to have it done and by the way in journalism if you're writing a story and somebody tells you something you need to verify it with one other you need two sources and they've got many many sources for this yeah and there many many people are saying it's 50 plus some people are saying it's you know 80 people were there it's difficult to say i mean it's a bunch of people that come out of their like you know dorms or whatever they're called and take a look and then some people probably drift off some people so i'm not that concerned that you know there's no definite number on that um we've got uh iphones and infrared now it'd be interesting to find out more about the infrared consensus eyewitness reports the shape triangle by angle of observation the sound silent the, the size estimations are between half the size of a football field and a three-bedroom two-story house Oh, <laughs> that's a bit different. Timeline, 8.20, Kraft appeared. 8.24, first known iPhone recordings. 8.29, illumination rounds were discharged above the UAP Kraft. This was recorded. And that's very interesting footage, actually, where you can see the difference between the illumination flares that were there but in order to kind of shed light on the Kraft, if you like, like illuminate the craft so people can see what the heck is going on. And then and and then the, the craft lights themselves, because I should explain there are how many? One, two, three, four, five uh points of light. Yep. They're kind of like quite large, white, bright white uh light. Bright white light. Um, where were we then? And then 8:30. The UAP was reported to blink out or disappear just before the illumination rounds approached the useful proximity to the unidentified craft. Response, there was a significant air and ground response for approximately three hours after this mass sighting, presumed by witnesses to be a search and reconnaissance effort. So that is really, really interesting. And then it's all on this page that I'm going to link. It's a brilliant story. And it's, uh, you know, brilliantly laid out, as you would <coughs> imagine from those guys, because they know what they're doing, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. And I can't just dismiss it as, oh, it's just flares, you know. But at the same time, though, obviously, the more information possible. Not that I need to tell Jeremy that, because, of course, that's what he's doing. Do you know what I mean? So it's a really absolutely fantastic story. And thank you so much for giving it to us, uh, Jeremy. And for your commentary on it, George. <laughs> and hey, man, it makes you top four. Wow, wait, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, number four. Thank you. Okay, so now we're on to the number three now. The top three is, well, they're kind of all connected, really. But uh, number three is the NASA uh, public briefing. Four hours long. There's a couple of things that came out of it that... Um, were really positive okay first of all just a word on the negative things it doesn't help to say oh yeah we saw a bart simpson balloon it doesn't help to say oh we saw the international space station it doesn't help to release uh footage showing planes <laughs> and it definitely doesn't help to do this uh calculation on the go fast uh, to say that it was traveling at 40 miles an hour when it's not the full video and you haven't got access to the full video and multiple people have said that it's going much, much faster. Okay. I mean, it's really odd that those kind of things were going on and, you know, half of it was saying, oh, stigma, stigma, stigma. We've got to get rid of the stigma. The other half was like the FAA guy didn't even know what happens if a pilot makes a report? I mean, that's like, come on, come on. Like, it was a really dull presentation by that dude. It basically spoke about how the FAA works, not much about UAPs. And then the most obvious question about, oh, yeah, okay, so if a pilot does see a UAP, what does he do about it? He didn't even know, you know? So that's my negative thing about that then so some positive things happened as well though uh number one kirk patrick said that uh he had just come out of a 
last, like the week before, a meeting with the Five Eyes, which was very exciting. And Chris Sharp tried to get a comment from the uh, Ministry of Defence, and they said, we do not comment. That's that's it. It's not a no comment. It's just that we do not comment about that. So that's it. So no movement at all from the UA, uh, the UK MOD or the UK government on on that. But it's good to get confirmation from Kirkpatrick, like on the record, you know, public confirmation of Five Eyes. So if you're listening in Australia or Canada or New Zealand, I know I've got listeners in those places, you know, it might be worth trying to um, get some kind of public comment on the record for from your ministries of defence. Yes. Um, but that was very interesting. The second interesting thing was this idea of um, the spheres, the spheres being everything, everywhere. I mean, this is absolutely juicy. Let's jump to Kirkpatrick in his presentation. This is a typical example of the thing that we see most of. We see these all over the world, and we see these in, in making very interesting apparent maneuvers. So there he is there, Kirkpatrick, saying we see these all over the world, and we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers, which is absolutely extraordinary if you think about it. I mean, what is going on? What is going on? Now, we've got a bit of press coverage for that because it's such a big deal. But, I mean, nothing compared to the massiveness of it, really. You've got a Department of Defense Mandarin <laughs> um, basically confirming this extraordinary thing. And we need more information about this. Like when you say these, you know, how many? All over the world, what does that mean? Um, you, they did get numbers out of like an update on the numbers. So it's 800 in total. And of those 800, uh, roughly half of them, it's 400, are um, orbs. Okay. And so from that then, and he, and he said between 2 and 5%. So between 16 and 40 of these 800 uh, UAPs, have got um, extraordinary, you know, kind of capacity. Like there's something truly anomalous about them, yep? They're moving in unusual ways or something like that, yeah? And then, so that, so if you think about that, then that's one side of it. And again, it might be that, you know, it was slightly off the cuff or slightly unprepared from, um, from Kirkpatrick to say we see these all over the world and we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's intriguing because it might be that he kind of gave us a bit more than he planned for there. Because if you think, okay, you've got eight uh, to sixteen, or sorry, sixteen to forty, um, which is like the two to five percent of the eight hundred total. Yeah. And then you think we see these all over the world and we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers. So what are we what are we talking about? Are we talking about 10 uh, uh, orbs uh, dotted around the world making apparent maneuvers, whatever that means? I imagine that they're doing things which can't be like explained easily. I mean, there's also very interestingly in Liberation Times, and I'm going to um, link this, there's a very good uh, piece by some guy in the aviation industry who's kind of knows his stuff about how things fly, who's on Twitter. He's very um, a kind of vocal part of the UAP community. He goes by the name Condor Man. An article was written for Liberation Times that talks about the kind of possibilities of how do you... Um, how does a sphere fly? How can a sphere fly? And it's really brilliant article. And essentially, like theoretically, you can do it. Can spheres fly? Insights from a senior level aerospace engineer. This is came out 23rd of April, okay? And it's really, really interesting. Um, so essentially, it, it, it is possible. Like theoretically, it is possible. 
Chris Sharp has got a really great article um, in the Daily Mail about the uh, Corbell, you know, uh, 29 pounds story as well, which is really, really very good. Uh, 29 pounds. Right. So that is number three. And I thought it was really, really interesting what um, Kirkpatrick said about five eyes and about the spheres. And it's kind of extraordinary that that hasn't been picked up more, really. I mean, it got a bit of coverage, you know, and the whole thing got some coverage. And of course, you know, by and large, obviously, it's really brilliant that NASA are looking at this. And I do have qualms as to like how it kind of came together and some of the comments. But in terms of like, you know, fighting the stigma, it really, really helps that NASA is on board. So hopefully you've got clear lines of uh, reporting for anybody that sees uh, sees the UAP. And hopefully some of those uh, kind of like legacy, the legacy of the stigma will quickly fade away. Anyway, that is number three. Okay, so number two. Number two is an absolutely extraordinary um, article that Christopher Mellon wrote for Politico. And it came out yesterday, and it's absolutely incredible. And this is when all of those people that speak about, um, you know, something big is just coming around the corner. Well, big coming around. And you know what? The um, For the subscribers of you, you enjoyed that episode, didn't you? Episode five, where I talked about that. It's called Game Changer. And so, you know, it still is that people are saying, you know, there's something big is going to happen. And when I read this, I think, oh, yeah, this is, you know, a kind of path to something huge. This is the path to disclosure, really. Like the path that um, the NASA people were talking about, that they were on a path. Well, it really feels like I'm on a path <laughs> or path. I'm on a path, man. Um, that's for the people in Liverpool that are listening. Hi. So, okay, this is a melon. If the government has UFO crash materials, it's time to reveal them. The benefits to humanity outweigh the fear of discovering we're not alone in the universe. And it begins, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will link it. It begins since 2017, my life has been dominated by efforts to help Congress and the public discover the truth about unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, what many still refer to as UFOs. I've lost count of the number of cities visited, meetings attended, books read, articles written, media appearances and hours spent on the phone. At the outset, my goal was simply to help our government overcome a glaring intelligence failure. And then he goes on and on and on. And then he gives some really good reasons about why the time is now. I've concluded the public needs to know the truth. I say this for the following reasons. And he writes about each of these. Democracy requires transparency. We own any discovery. We can handle it. We don't control UAP. Disclosure is only a matter of time. And there he talks about the Galileo Project the Scientific Correlation of UAP Studies, Americans for Safe Aerospace, which is Ryan Graves' um, uh, organization, and Enigma Labs as well. Um, Congress is proceeding. Secrecy style stifles science. Time to reduce international tensions. He then goes on to quote uh, Reagan, who very famously says, perhaps we need some... That's not Reagan. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And then his next reason, Mellon's next reason, is no imminent threat. And then, um, although he, he ends that by saying, uh, although we're not experiencing acts of aggression, there is a pattern of persistent surveillance around DOD test ranges and facilities, especially our nuclear weapons capabilities. Hopefully, any interest in our military capabilities is purely defensive. 
there's a lot riding on that word hopefully there, isn't there? Just like world domination. Um, oh, by the way, just speaking of world domination, um, the, uh, for the, the new episode is up for the subscribers. And I look at that extraordinary book, uh, Alien Interview, um, by Lawrence Spencer. Do you, do you know the story of that book? Basically, Lawrence Spencer wrote this book after being, he edited uh, and kind of put footnotes, which is his research, into uh, and kind of collated a book um, from this package of documents and letters uh, sent by this woman called Matilda McLeod. Matilda McLeod, maybe is how you pronounce it. This Irish woman who says she was a nurse at Roswell, and she was the only one that could communicate with the alien. And the alien called themselves an Isby. And it's an absolutely extraordinary story. So I speak about that anyway in in um, in the uh, episode six for the subscribers. So if you want to subscribe, then just um, I'll link to how you how you subscribe. So please do subscribe if you're interested in paranormal blip and listening to quite kind of quite off off the planet <laughs> areas. I think the next subscription episode, by the way, is a bit more on Hoffman because I'm going to speak about Hoffman in a minute. But I want to do a bit bit of a bigger Hoffman, you know, celebration of the Hoff. Anyway, back to um, Mellon's article here. So the last one was no imminent threat. And then spark vitally needed collaboration. I cannot think of anything more likely to shock humanity out of its present complacence than the revelation we are not alone. Our species and planetary civilization is following a dangerous trajectory, one involving a serious prospect of nuclear conflagration. If that were not enough, all nations face the joint prospect of accelerating ecological devastation at the proliferation of nuclear, chemical and biological weapons and the threat of AI will become weaponized or tuned against or turned against humanity. Okay, so that's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's not good, but it's good analysis is what I mean. And then he goes on and on. So anyway, that is a really absolutely extraordinary. This is another extraordinary part of it, which is being kind of widely quoted. Since Arrow was established, I've referred four witnesses to them who claim to have knowledge of a secret UF government program involving the analysis and exploitation of materials covered from recovered from off-world craft. Other sources who rightly or wrongly do not trust Arrow's leadership have also contacted me with additional details and information about an alleged secret US government reverse engineering program. Some have supplied information to the intelligence community's Inspector General, others directly to staff of the Congressional Oversight Committees. So that's incredible to have that in writing. And of course, we've got words like alleged there, um, you know, but at the same time, we know what what he's talking about there. So, you know, it's incredible that that's in writing. And that really does make me think that we're closing in on something absolutely huge. I mean, just around the corner, really, because if this is a path, we're coming close to the Emerald City, you know? Well, that was a road, though, wasn't it? So, yeah. Anyway, number two. So the top five, then. Number five is James Fox on, John, on Joe Rogan, John Rogan, talking about the Chuck Clark UFO video and that dude, Logan Paul. And then four is weaponized, Flaregate, 29 palms. 50-plus people seeing it, saying it's not flares, and then everyone saying it is flares, and me saying, well, I'm not sure about it, but I do would like some more data, and it probably is definitely a craft. Also, on that, um, what would be really great to see, and, I, and I'm sure it's the most difficult thing to see, but some kind of info about this huge response, you know? I mean, come on, like, it was only a couple of years ago. I'm sure it's possible somehow to find some verifiable, uh, you know, kind of evidence 
that that big response happened because of course and then what they're saying as well i mean i should this isn't you know this is number i should be talking about the number one but just quickly they said the the uh, training that happened on that day at that time was 18 miles away and three um mountain ranges away <laughs> that's how big this this um this base is it's extraordinary so you know it doesn't really there's something that doesn't uh if, if so many people are saying it's not flares i think we need to kind of pay attention to that anyway that's number number four number three is nasa with the five eyes and spheres number two is melon on in politico number one we know what it is because it was absolutely extraordinary. It set the UAP community on fire. And I'm not too sure if that fire has died down. But if it is, then I'm here with the kindling. Let's get this going again. Nolan at Salt. Absolutely extraordinary. Now, I'm going to play a little bit of it to you. Essentially, if you haven't heard this whole thing, then I'll put a link in the description. You've got to listen to it. It is absolutely, absolutely extraordinary. And it was really well done because the guy knew exactly what Nolan was doing. The guy, the presenter, did a really standout job asking the questions. And they obviously, you know, he knew exactly what was coming around the corner, you know. So, and Nolan, like, typically was absolutely brilliant at communicating um, his, his message. And what is his message? Basically, his message is that they're here and they've been here for a long time and that there are craft and that we are going to get material in our hands in order for us to analyze it. Not me and you, but well, maybe you. I don't know who you are. Maybe you, but certainly not me. Um, but, you know, kind of people who have, who can kind of verify what this stuff is, it is going to be released. So that, when I hear that, and you'll hear a moment, of, a bit of it in a moment, you do think, you know, we are we are close to something. I mean, this is basically, this is disclosure. Here's Nolan. You have to speculate. What do you right. think it is? Let's be bold. I think it is an advanced form of intelligence, something that we don't understand, that is using some kind of intermediaries, however it is, like I said about the, you know, the you don't, you're not going to end up in the middle of the tribe, the angry monkeys that are flinging muck at each other or nuclear bombs. Uh, you're not going to and you're not going to show yourself in the middle of the ambulance. You're going to send intermediaries. You know, it's not that they walk amongst us that, you know, you, uh, you know, wearing a skin suit are actually the alien. Right. No, you're going to basically put something there that is I think of it as an intelligence test. Can you see what's in front of you for what it really is? Yeah. Can you see the anomalous data point that is there that you realize what it is? I mean, when the uh, South American um, native tribes first saw the um, Spanish ships coming across the horizon, they didn't realize what it was. They couldn't see it for what it was. So, you know, this is, as I said before, this is the kind of the wow factor yeah. that they're, they're showing up, they're saying, well, who amongst you are intelligent enough to realize what it is that you're looking at? Yeah. They don't have to land on the White House lawn. We can only make the joke about is there intelligence in DC at all, right? You, you just need to show yourself to enough to acculturate. Yeah. Now, if you've been around for a long time, and this is what, something that I do think has been, they've been around for a long time, they are affecting our culture. Right. It's actually often thought that many of the religions that we think of as the most important have been part of this process. So I zoomed in on that bit because I think it's really fascinating, this idea that, you know, they're intermediaries. So it's not that it's you, as he points to somebody in the audience wearing a skin suit who is among us. And of course, there is a lot of um, testimony that that does happen, by the way. Thank you. And it's not all um, Ingo Swan type testimony. But, um, you know, that's not what he's talking about, though. He's talking about an intelligence test. Who among us, like he's just said, you've just heard him say it, um, <laughs> can, can pick this thing up? And what I find really fascinating is that it obviously is a connection between this thing that I've spoken to about uh, in the past which is like, you know, spoken by many, many people where you have folks that are, you know, sensitives, you know, 
folks that can pick things up that others can't. And in a moment, I'm going to be talking about Donald Hoffman. But it's that is that that kind of level of um, you know, and he was just spitballing there. He was saying, okay, this is the part where we speculate, and so he was just kind of speculating there. Um, having said that, though, you know, this does represent something quite different in the UAP conversation. I think Nolan, and remember as well, the audience. It wasn't a podcast. This it wasn't like a kind of you know UAP friendly gathering. It was a group of investors with money to invest, and he was saying, you know, I'm interested in how we use this, and this is a guy that has made money by developing, um, you know, healthcare products and developing companies in order to sell those healthcare products. Yep. So this is what Nolan is interested in, and this is why he was there. He wanted to, you know, get some interest in this emerging technology. You know, so that also um, is to do with the professionalization of this uh, as an area. So there's a couple of things like drawing it all together. A couple of things that I think are really interesting in terms of, you know, this path towards something that is is big maybe not disclose i mean what is disclosure you know we're never going to see you know they're never going to open up the hangar doors as as somebody once said and you know you're not going to see a kind of live feed of um a floating craft in um you know lockheed martin's big uh hangar you know that's not going to happen so what is disclosure well i guess it's to the point where You've got enough verifiable information where, you know, the general public knows that this is happening. So also Gary came back and he said, well, you know, I'm not sure why it caused such a ruckus because I've said all of this before. But I do think that he totally understands. It's not just what he said. It's the how he said it in that it wasn't spread over a three hour podcast interview and who he was saying it to as well. That is the key for me. That's the key for me, who he was saying it to. Yep. So it's to do with the professionalization of it. It's to do of the UAP um, phenomena, if you like. And it's to do with um, broadening it out and uh, having the conversation without the stigma. And if you th think back, you know, my whole reason to begin with this was to somehow help to um, you know, kind of dilute the stigma. And I do that every day in my kind of everyday talking to people about it. But um, we've come far. I mean, not me. I've got very little to do with it apart from on a personal basis, the people I speak to. But we've come far, haven't we? I still say we. <laughs> we've come far in terms of that stigma. And, and you know, as, as much as I have uh, qualms about you know, the NASA thing, for instance, it's really, really good to see um, it getting broad uh, mainstream media coverage. Not everywhere, not everywhere by a long shot. And still we've got GMB, like, you know, Good Morning Britain, which is this big show in in uh, the UK, uh, you know, with the X-Files music. I mean, they've really, like a lot of people have got to get their act together on this, you know, uh, in the UK especially. But of course it doesn't help that we've got a government and a kind of, you know, Ministry of Defence that are totally silent to that, you know, doesn't help at all. Anyway, to sum up, it has been an extraordinary couple of weeks. I am looking forward to be doing this a lot more regularly than, you know, once every two months. I can't promise much because I my job is, you know, takes up quite a bit of time. Having said that, um, there's one other thing I want to um, say, which which I do need to mention as a kind of like as a as a mo note of commendation. Uh, Christina Gomez, uh, in relation to her coverage of the Sting of the Skinwalker Ranch show, uh, and she's really excellent. I'm a big fan of Christina, and she was in an interview with a couple of those guys from the uh, Skinwalker Ranch. And one of them said that their insider, um, pro, like, you know, they've got this thing on the Skinwalker website where you can be an insider. 
and essentially you can kind of like chat to the dude. Is it Eric? I've forgotten his name now. Is it Eric Baird? Or maybe that's someone else. But anyway, whatever his name is, um, you can chat to him occasionally and occasionally other people from the from the from that group of, you know, people that run Skimwalker Ranch kind of jump into the chat. And what they do, though, is that they monitor the uh, CCTV. Yeah. And they've had reports, and this is um, very interesting. They've had reports of people on there. So like, you know, people that are on there on the internet at home, looking at the Skinwalker Ranch live feeds of the cameras that they've got dotted around the ranch. And they are having paranormal experiences for the first time in their lives. Um, and the thinking is that it, it's some kind of entanglement. This is somebody said on the Christina's show, one of the dudes from Skinwalker Ranch said, it's a, this is an example of entanglement. And I've never thought of that word in that way before, which I kind of should have done, you know, but it is an entanglement, yeah? When the phenomena, it seems to be that in some cases, when and it's been reported by, you know, loads of people in the past, but this is another occasion of it. When the phenomena knows that you're interested in it, it then starts taking an interest in you. It doesn't always happen. There's been plenty of researchers that have been doing this for years and years and years and never had anything, but but sometimes it does happen. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, Mr. Nolan has also had, oh, sorry, Dr. Nolan has also had his own um, phenomena, hasn't he? Yeah. So very, very interesting. So... There's your top five. Next, we're going to do a very quick review of They Live. They Live, 1988, John Carpenter. Um, I think it's known as John Carpenter's They Live in some quarters. Uh, he's the director, he's the writer. And it's his response to Reagan's America, where the gap between the rich and the poor grew massively. And it was really, you know, I mean, I remember living in Thatcher's Britain, but she, I don't know how old you are. Most of you are my age. Um, so maybe you remember living in Reagan's America. And at that time, there was a big homeless crisis in, in uh, Los Angeles. I think there is a big homeless crisis in many uh, cities in, in the United States at the moment as well. Um, and maybe it never went away, but certainly in nineteen in the late 80s, the mid to late 80s, uh, Carpenter wanted to address um, the kind of difficulty of being uh, a working person in Reagan's America. And so he follows a character played by Rowdy Roddy Piper, the wrestler, and it's um, certainly Roddy Piper's most significant acting role. And he's really, really good in it. Like, really good. I, this is the first time I've seen They Live. And I was always a bit put off by Rowdy Roddy Piper. As a, I quite liked him as a wrestler. But he certainly wasn't my favourite wrestler by, by a long shot. Um, <laughs> long shot is a good name for a wrestler, actually, isn't it? Yeah. They call me long shot. What do you think he could, his arm could become elasticated and go like really long and have a massive kind of cartoon-like huge bubble fist on the end of the long elastic arm? That's a good finishing move, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, um, so I was a bit put off by the idea of Rowdy Roddy Piper is like a proper action star, is he? You know, he's not like Sly Stallone or Arnie Schwarzenegger, is he? He's just Rowdy Roddy Piper. But Roddy Piper's really, really good. And it's a it's a pretty good film. I mean, it's I feel like it says something really interesting about the time. And it's I love the way that it's shot. That fight scene in the middle between him and um, Keith David, between Piper and Keith David, is, is really brilliant, and the stakes are really high. Um, I also like Meg Foster in it, who plays the Holly, the Holly character. And uh, everyone's everyone's great, you know, everyone's really good in it. 
Having said that, it's slightly kind of clunky. I think it's fair to say that it's slightly clunky. There's one excellent uh, thing about it, which is the sunglasses. It's a fantastic little device to get to where we're going in this film. Really clean, brilliantly um, used device. And essentially what it is, is the story of this guy is kind of like a bit of a, a drifter, kind of, you know, doesn't have much money. And he starts getting work at a, a construction site, but he's living in essentially a kind of homeless um, kind of area of the of the city where like lots of people have just set up their tents and, you know, kind of um, trying to get by. Now, opposite there, there's a church and he's kind of quite interested in the comings and goings of this church. And he finds after a long kind of drawn out process, he finds these sunglasses, puts the sunglasses on and it reveals a world that he didn't think was there. It essentially reveals the truth. Okay, this is very Don Hoffman. I'd like to have Hoffman's take on this, yeah? Um, <laughs> um, so it reveals the truth. And what it does is that it, sh it shows um, advertising for the kind of like just ridiculousness that it is. Everything is, um, you know, kind of whittled down to the, to the one word or the very short phrase that the advertising is suggesting. Um, so as an example, you know, obey or have sex or, you know, um, procreate, I think is the word they use, you know. So if you take the sunglasses off, you see a beautiful, you know, scantily clad woman um, selling, I don't know, a washing machine or whatever, put the glasses on and it says uh, procreate. Yep, that kind of idea, you know. So this is a kind of truth. The, the the glasses will set you free and see the truth through the glasses, through the sunglasses. Um, but also it shows that a, quite a few of, of the population, not like everyone, but quite a lot of the population are actually aliens who are wearing some kind of human disguise, okay? And it, it transpires that um, Rowdy Roddy Piper's character, uh, whose name is George Nada, and Nada means nothing in Spanish. Um, George, you know, he kind of gets together with a bunch of revolutionaries and he tries to have a bit of a kind of comeback against this organization that is secretly got its grips on the entire world, seemingly, or certainly in, in Los Angeles. And no spoilers here, um, so you'll have to watch the film. So what, what we have here with They Live are some really good ideas, uh, but it feels like they're on a budget, and you kind of feel like it's a budget, even though it's got, you know, cars, and <laughs> it's even got cars. It's got a helicopter at one stage, you know, it's like multiple locations, but it just feels like, you know, it's, it's, uh, there was a kind of budgetary constraint. My most favorite part, which only lasted a couple of seconds, was when George and his mate um, find themselves in this kind of, um, uh, essentially this place where the aliens have um, like control, like total control. It's like they're one of their bases in the city and they can do um, traveling through dimensions or through space, like instantaneously. And that's a really lovely little scene. And so the kind of humans that are collaborating with the aliens have got these nifty little watches and you do something with the watch and you can essentially you disappear. So you immediately travel somewhere else. And there's this kind of little spaceport place where a jump room, as some people would call it, where um, you turn up and you you uh, jump some somewhere else. So I really like that jump room scene. And they don't call it a jump room. That's from something else. I can't quite remember where that's from. No, I've heard about it a few days ago. Anyway, um, but, you know, it's definitely not one of John Carpenter's best. I'm quite pleased I saw it. I'd say I'd give it about three out of five. It's certainly like, you know, I watched it and it was fine. But at the same time, you know, it's three out of five. Three out of five, isn't it? Yeah. 
Anyway, that is They Live. So we're going to end this enormous episode of Paranormal Blip with a little word on Donald Hoffman. I uh, listened to uh, a podcast, Kurt Dimungle's um, Theories of Everything, the other day, and it, I really need to look into Hoffman like properly. But this is a good start, and I'll put a link to it in the podcast from a couple of years ago. Um, but Hoffman speaks in detail about the work that he's doing. And it's super exciting work that he's doing. He meditates for at least three times, uh, three hours a day in that he, he's, he doesn't make any noise. <laughs> he's silent for three hours a day and he just kind of attends to um, thoughts as you do when you meditate, you know. And so I thought that was really interesting that he's got this kind of um, dedicated meditative practice. It doesn't matter to him whether he's standing up or sitting down or whatever. It doesn't have a particular pose. It doesn't have much of a kind of protocol except for silence. Now I'm going to put in an article I've found which uh, sums up essentially his ideas. So here we go. Darwin informs us that our senses evolved to keep us alive until we raise kids. But what if selection did more? Could it shape our senses to report truths about objective reality? Yes, it could. But the probability that it does is zero. This is the startling verdict of evolutionary game theory, a mathematical formulation of Darwin's insight. Yes, our senses guide adaptive behavior. No, they are not a window on reality. Then what are they? An adaptive fiction. A helpful metaphor is virtual reality. Suppose you're playing Grand Theft Auto in VR. Seated in your ride, you see a dashboard, steering wheel, and the road ahead. You turn your headset to the right and see a red Ferrari. To the left, you see a green Porsche. In reality, as you play the game, you're toggling millions of voltages each second in an unseen supercomputer. There is no green Porsche in that computer. The Porsche, your dashboard, and all that you see is a fiction that helps you to play GTA. And that's what evolution did for us. Space-time and physical objects are just our VR headset. They let us play the game of life, blissfully ignorant of the nitty-gritty of a reality beyond. So evolution agrees with physics that space-time is not fundamental. But evolution offers a metaphor. Space-time is just a headset by which we interact with an unseen reality. Science, until now, has only studied the contents and format of our headset. It's time for science to remove that headset and venture beyond. Cool, that's a good place to end the um, to end it, isn't it? <laughs> and um, I also was listening to him in conversation with Robert Spewer, the uh, kind of spiritual guy, and. He Spirit is his ideas are very very close to, um, to, to Hoffman's, and basically he Spira had this really brilliant uh, metaphor. He says, if you look at the snow, you can see the white snow, but if you put your um, pink tinted sunglasses on, then you're no longer looking at uh, the snow as it actually is, the white snow. You're seeing pink snow. But pink snow doesn't exist. Robert Spearer on Google is described as a spiritual leader. He's 63 years old. Wow, Google's got a really nice... Is that a new layout, a new Google layout? Anyway, let's, let's find out about... Spira, the essence of non-duality. So there we go. Anyway, um, yeah, they've it's good, had a really lovely conversation together, Spira, and um, and Hoffman, and and see, so the idea therefore is that space-time is not 
fundamental. Space-time is doomed, as the saying goes. And this isn't Hoffman's original idea. He's picking it up from other people. And in the Spira interview that they did a couple of, I don't know when it was, I think it was quite recently there, um, he, he acknowledges, you know, the, the guy that came up with this, this idea that, um, you know, space-time is doomed. But what I'm interested in is that, of course, all of parapsychology fits into this, uh, this um, idea. And also, it's not um, simulation theory, okay? The kind of regular simulation theory is that uh, everything is a fiction, that like we live a fiction, um, and there is a kind of unseen, very much like they live, an unseen controller controlling us, yeah? But if you kind of expand simulation theory out, that unseen controller actually has got someone controlling them. And so all of that kind of fits in the kind of realms of space-time. And um, Spira and Hoffman are saying, space-time is not fundamental. Something is happening with consciousness that is uh, outside of space-time. In fact, space-time is just part of the way that we need to filter data in order to survive. Coming back to this idea that the senses are there in order for us to navigate the world, for us to have children, yeah? Procreate, as the advert says, and they live, yeah? So that's the point. The point of our senses is that we can survive in order to have kids. That's what the senses do. The senses do not, the senses do not, um, like, give us, like, the truth or what actually reality is. Um, and in fact, that's, you know, many people say that uh, there's a kind of um, filtering uh, measurement in place. Well, we know this, you know, we know the kind of things that dogs can hear and the kind of things that certain animals can see and insects can see are out of our human scope, yeah? We know that our senses only pick up various um, things in order for us to, you know, pick up someone at a nightclub and, you know, you can imagine the rest. So there's Hoffman, very interesting. And that leads me to the end of this episode. So thank you ever so much for uh, listening. And please do follow me on Twitter, Instagram, all the rest of it. I haven't been on Instagram for months. So maybe not Instagram. <laughs> but if you do want to contact me, Twitter is the best. And I do want to get back into the groove of doing these much more regularly. Um, you know, for a long time, I was doing them every week. Um, I can't promise that. Uh, but having said that, you know, I'm, I'm fully aware that, you know, I need to do more than, than once every two months, you know. Now, the good news is that I've got the summer holidays coming up uh, in relatively short amount of time, about six weeks time, six, seven weeks time, something like that. And so... That would be nice. There'll be a lot more over the summer, a lot more regular over the summer. But certainly between now and then, I do want to do quite a few episodes, hopefully once a week. That's certainly my intention and my plan is once a week episodes. Anyway, there's your catch up. There's your There You Live. And there's a little bit on Donald Hoffman, who I do want to return to in the future. Thank you ever so much for listening. See you later.